Welcome to the Family Life Church Podcast. We hope you're blessed and encouraged to share this with someone you know. Subscribe or visit thefamilylife.org for more information. If you stand for the reading of the word of the Lord today, I'm just going to read uh, one verse, Job chapter 17 and verse number 9. Job 17 and verse number 9. The righteous also shall hold on his way. And he that hath clean hands shall be stronger and stronger. You may be seated. During the past few months, I've been doing some reminiscing, and I was reminded of a time when I was preaching two times a year in a small town called Kirksville, Ohio. A man by the name of Brother Red had me two times a year to preach, and it was one of those churches that had an evangelist quarters. And what that meant is that if you went upstairs, there was a little apartment you could sleep in, and the church had its own kitchen. And so what the church would do is I would come to preach, and I would live in the evangelist quarters, and they had a little kitchen there, and in that kitchen they left all kinds of food, and I was there to to take care of myself, do my own cooking, as the old phrase says. And on the wall, there was a sign, a sign that I've seen a few other places, and I know when I say this, you have seen it many times too. The sign said, wash your hands, because God and germs are everywhere. (laughs) Now, I was reminiscing about those days, the last few months, about those revivals and the great times we had in that small town of Kirksville, Ohio. And I remember thinking about that sign. And as I was thinking about that sign, and I've been writing things down about those early days, I I began to, to think about clean hands and what we have been told about clean hands. I'm not going to go into depths too much about clean hands, but I think that all of us know coming out of a worldwide pandemic that one of the things that we learned was the value of, of washing your hands. And, and everyone began looking around more closely about who's washing their hands. We didn't think this was too hard to do, but evidently there were some people who didn't really understand the value of washing hands. We had to be reminded by a pandemic that Clean hands have value. Job was writing, I'm sorry, responding in what is known as the second of three debates between he and his friends, Eliphaz, Zophar, and Bildad. We'll get to that in a little bit. And he says something in the 17th chapter that, as I was reminiscing about a sign that said, wash your hands because germs and God are everywhere. And I was thinking about the value of clean hands coming out of a pandemic. I began to recognize this very unique observation that Job, a perfect and upright man who eschewed evil, had to say about clean hands. The people that have them actually become stronger and stronger. Now, when we talk about clean hands in the Bible, 
it's very much a type and a foreshadow of the cleansing of, of sin and doing away with wrong things. Matter of fact, in the temple, there was actually a, a, a bowl, a, a, a place where you could wash your hands. We remember that when we went through uh, prayer through the tabernacle. The idea of washing one's hands simply meant that there was something wrong that I had done. And I want to get this off of my hands. I want to wash it away. I want to get rid of something. So much so that people celebrated the washing of their hands. Asaph wrote in Psalms chapter 73 this. He said, in the beginning, my feet almost slipped out from under me when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. and, And I looked around and I saw that the people whose lives that were unrepented of, thank you, Brother Trace, Uh, that were unrepented of, and the people that were living in the world, and the people were not living godly lives. I looked around in a low state, and I began to to consider myself, and my, my spirituality almost slipped out from under me because I saw the great things that were happening to the people out in the world. And I looked at my own life, and I looked back to that moment where I washed my hands, And he says, verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and my hands in innocency. In other words, there was no reason for me to wash my hands when I look at how good it looks out in the world compared to where I am at living for God. Because clean hands don't always indicate that life is going to be easy. Clean hands don't always indicate the absence of trouble. Clean hands don't always mean that you go only up and never have a few days of going down. Clean hands can mean that God is in the middle of your life. And Job understood this. We'll get to this in a moment. But this man, Asaph of Psalm 73, said, I washed my hands in innocency. In other words, I didn't even need to do it. There has been no result. And my brothers and my sisters, I'm reaching today for someone who doesn't understand. You're far better here with clean hands than you are out there in the world with dirty hands and blemished hands. And you've never, ever washed your hands in innocency here when you've come to an altar and you've repented and you've washed away the sins of your life through the blood of Jesus Christ. You've done the right thing. And when weighed in the balance, and that's why Asaph said, until I went to the sanctuary and I knew their end, I didn't really understand the value of my repentance, the value of the washing, the value of the cleansing. Because we're far better in here than we are out there. Washing of hands actually was a ceremony of purity. Jesus came before Pilate. He was to be tried. And the scribes, the Pharisees, and those that were around began to look at Pilate and say, you cannot find this man innocent. 
You must lay guilt to his charge. Look at this man, a man by the name of Barabbas. He is also a man who's in jail. But we would rather have Barabbas than we would Jesus. And the Bible says this in Matthew chapter 24. When he said, I'm sorry, Matthew 27, when he sat down on the judgment seat, look at this. Look at the paranoia that's going on everywhere. His wife sent unto him saying, have thou nothing to do with that man, which is Jesus, for I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask for Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. So here is a man who is sitting in judgment by the Pharisees, judgment by the crowd, judgment by his wife who is being troubled about what he's going to do with this man Jesus. And the Bible says, the governor answered and said unto him, whether of Twain will ye that I release unto you. They said Barabbas. In other words, can I give you two? They said, no, just give us Barabbas. And Pilate saith unto them, what shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all said unto him, let him be crucified. I want you to look at this position that Pilate is in. Everyone is looking at him. Everyone is angry at him. He is trying to make a weighted decision. What is the best thing that I can do? What is my best personal outcome? And the governor said, why, what evil hath he done? But they cried out the more saying, let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail, nothing but rather a tumult was made. He took water. Knowing what he was doing was wrong. Knowing that he was giving in to peer pressure. Knowing that he was being forced to do something in his heart he knew wasn't right. His wife had told him the truth. The Bible says he took water. And he washed his hands. Not in private. But before the multitude. To say to them, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. You see, there is a reality that human beings want to feel innocent. There is a truth that we all want to be set free from any type of wrong. Though we commit it, we want to be away from it. Pilate found himself a man in front of a large crowd and he's trying to portray to everyone, I'm innocent. I'm innocent. Even though he was not. And he tried to do this by the power and the process of washing hands. Because there is power in clean hands. The psalmist said this in Psalm chapter 24. He asked a pretty big question. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? Who's it going to be? Is it going to be the rich person, the poor person, the modest person, the spiritual person? Who is it going to be? 
And he answers his own question. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. Clean hands, the value of them. It's untold. Pilate wanted the multitude to see it. Asaph questioned what he had done before. And the writer of the the 24th Psalm actually says the only person, male, female, no matter who they are, that is going to ascend up into the mountain of the Lord or into the holy place is going to be someone who has clean hands. Job, in his second debate, with his three friends, begins the 17th chapter by talking about the reality that he probably was more fit for the grave than he was for the earth. He even said at one point, my purpose is broken, my purpose is gone. I've come to a point where I'm being ridiculed. Matter of fact, Job even said in Job chapter 17, verse 6, the Lord hath made me a byword. What is a byword? It is a joke. This man faced a position in the world that no person before or since has ever faced. A loss so grievous that none of us have not heard the story a hundred times, but still don't take a step back when we hear it and recognize this vast amount of loss. He says, God has made of me a byword. Another version said, I have been made a song of taunt. Everywhere I go, people are taunting me because of where I am. Because of what God has done. Because of what God has allowed. Because there's no humiliation quite like public humiliation. Everywhere I go, he then also says in verse 6 that he has become a tabret, which was nothing more than a musical instrument. He says, God has made me a song of taught, just a joke, and God has made me an instrument. Something to be put up and to be put down. Used for a season, not for enduring time frames. Job is dealing with the reality that everything that was is no more. That everything that was comfortable has become absent. That his calling and everything that he loved and he was so devoted to is missing. And as he's going through these laments and describing how he feels about himself and where he's at, he says this in verse 9, but the righteous shall hold on to his way. Not every human being, not an unrighteous person, but a righteous person shall hold on to his way. My brothers and sisters, as we find ourselves in 2022, 
There is something that Job echoes out of the very depths of maybe his most difficult times, and that is this. The righteous is going to hold on to his way. I'm going to hold on to the things that I know are true. I'm going to hold on to the things I know that are real. I may not be perfect. I may feel completely out. I may feel my purpose is gone. I may feel my value is zero, but I've come to tell someone, and I write this down every Every morning, I am a human being. I have a value of one. I still have purpose. I want to tell someone today, you have purpose. You have purpose. You have purpose for the kingdom of God. You have purpose for what the world has for you to accomplish spiritually and revival and winning people and doing things for God. You have purpose. But the righteous person doesn't give in. The righteous person doesn't let go. The righteous person doesn't turn around. The righteous person doesn't give up. The righteous person holds on to his way. In a world where it's so easy to let go. In a world where it's so easy to follow. In a world of social media where success is defined by how many followers you get. Everyone is asking you to follow. But I want to remind the church, the first, the first call to follow was from Jesus Christ. He said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Be careful who you're following. I know what's going on today in certain senses I read it all like everyone here. And I want to address something that's popping up before I get back to Job. When we talk about what is the reality and the temptation of the world today, there, there, there is a, um, how do I say this, stoicism. And I want to say this. I've read the books, Marcus Aurelius, Meditations. I've read uh, How to Think Like a Stoic. And, and The Daily Stoic is one of the most followed podcasts. And I, I understand all this. I just, I just want to throw this warning out here to everyone, particularly our young people. Someone came to the office to me the other day I worked with and said, listen to what the Stoic has to say. The Stoic is a daily uh, little bo- podcast. The Stoic says, you need to be the rock that the waves crash against against and doesn't move. And I said to my friend, that's wonderful. I love that. That's a really clever thing to say. And I understand what the illustration is. But I want to tell you what I have read in the Word of God and the Sermon on the Mount. It's a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And when the winds come and the rains blow and everything begins to happen, that house continues to stand. My brothers and my sisters, you don't have to follow the forms of this world to find the answers to life. You can look right into the Sermon in the Mount and find the same exact realities. It's time we understood the value of the word of the Lord. It's alive. It should be a part of our life. And we should be reading the Bible every single day and applying the word of God to our lives. What we need, for one thing, is an enormous revival of reading of the word of the Lord and applying the word of the Lord to our hearts. I was thinking this morning about the Bereans in the book of Acts chapter 17. The Bible says that they were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? Because they searched the scriptures. 
daily to see if these things were so. And I remember learning about the Bereans. One of the things that we tend to forget is they didn't have Bibles. Each house might have had a different scripture. You might have had Isaiah 53 and I had Genesis 22. But the Bible says that the Bereans came together in what? In readiness of mind. And they searched the scriptures. So you bring from your house and I'll bring from my house and I'll bring from this house and you bring from that house. And together we're going to search the scriptures and it's going to make a difference in our life. Here we are in 2022 with more Bibles in our houses than we know what to do with. We can read it. We can listen to it. We can watch it. We can do whatever we want to with it. Can you imagine living for God without a book of Ephesians, Romans, Colossians, Hebrews? All they had was the opportunity to bring what Scripture was held in their house. But look at their sincere innocence to say, in a ready mind, amen, we're going to get to that another time too, a ready mind, the church had me together in a ready mind to search the Scriptures. That's why, my brothers and sisters, we must be in the Word of the Lord. On a side note, my phone needed updating this month. My laptop needed updating this month. My computer at the office needed updating. But what did not need an update was my Bible. It was forever settled, inspired by the word of the Lord. Amen. Job, a perfect man, a devout man, says the righteous hold on to their way. And the hands, and he that hath clean hands, shall be stronger and stronger. And I wondered about what Job, where he might have got this. And and I've I've read the story and and learned of the story of Job like all of you so many times. I was almost afraid to to bring this today because it's Job and we know the story, the three friends. And by the way, those three friends, I... I think of them often. The Bible says that they came together in agreement to go and to visit their friend who was mourning and in such distress that they sat silent for seven days and seven nights while he mourned. And I thought to myself, boy, I I hope I have three friends that would do that. And then I looked in the mirror and I thought, I hope I'm a friend who would do that. Because my brothers and sisters, with all that we're getting good at, I hope we're getting good at being a restorer. I hope we're getting better at opening the door for people who need the door open. I hope we're getting better at being with people on the altar that need our help. I'm going to be the first person on the altar today when I'm done because this is about me too. Sometimes friends tell you the truth. And when we hear that someone's going to tell you the truth, the first thing we think is, they're going to tell me the truth about what I'm doing wrong. But sometimes the best thing a friend can do is tell you the truth about what you're doing right. A fit word changes people's lives. So I began reading about Job, and I went back to the first chapter, and I thought, Lord, there's got to be something here. How does Job come up with this idea that clean hands become stronger and stronger? You know, you can observe people who are righteous, 
and have lived for God and have not wavered and have been here. We have those examples. But what about someone who has clean hands? Where does that come from? I took a step back and I began to read about Job in the first chapter. Job loved his children. Job loved God. Job loved the purity, the innocence, and the holiness of God. That's why he he tried his very best to be perfect, upright, and to eschew evil. What wonderful words to have said about you as someone. Perfect, upright, eschewed evil. So much so that Job was driven by people being right with God, particularly his children. So I want to read verse 4 and verse 5 of Job chapter 1. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. These were happy kids having a good time. We're Job's kids. Our father has more than anyone. Our lifestyle is going to be predicated on there's, there's no limit of our, our excessiveness. We are living the high life. But while they were living the high life, the Bible says in verse number 5, And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be, just possibly, not in fact, but, but it may be that my sons have sinned. There, there's just a possibility that in all this feasting and all this lifestyle and everything they're doing, it may be that they've sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job, thus did Job. Continually. What did he do? He continually went and sanctified his children with a burnt offering because he knew the only way to wipe away and to wash away their wrongdoings was for an offering to be given, a sacrifice to be made. Job was so careful. He didn't know what his sons had done the night before. He didn't know what his daughters had done the night before. But the Bible says that continually he made a sacrifice. Continually he made an offering. Why is that? Because Job understood that hands that are not clean, hands that are given to mischief, hands that are not sanctified are hands that become weaker and weaker. But hands that are sanctified and hands that are clean become stronger and stronger. My brothers and my sisters, how do we become strong in 2022? We got to start washing our hands of the things of this world and not the things we know or don't know. But maybe we should take a chance 
chapter, a line from the book of Job who said it may be. I don't know if they did or didn't. I wasn't there. I wasn't even around. But just in case there's something wrong, just in case they didn't do something right, I'm going to make a sacrifice. I'm going to make an offering so that they can be set apart and be sanctified. David said it this way, Lord, shine your light in my heart. And if you find anything that should not be, if you find it there, wash me, cleanse me, change me. Go ahead and search my heart. There may actually be things in me that I don't even know about. The old me that's still in me. Because we don't sometimes always get our hands cleaned. Job said, the righteous hold on to his way and clean hands become stronger and stronger. I know what you're getting ready to respond to me. Well, what about the time when Jesus was talking to, to, uh, the, to the Pharisees when they said, look at this man, he's eating at the table and he has unclean hands. And Jesus responded, you're following the traditions of men. I just want to remind you that spiritual things can become tradition. That's why someone putting $1 in the offering plate in 1990 is still putting $1 in the offering plate in 2022. That's why, well, I'm not going into all that today, but it's very easy to become such a routine person in our walk with God. That sometimes we forget to stir up the gift that is within us. Because it's so much more comfortable being a traditional Christian than it is to be a renewed spiritual Christian another day. You may be saying, well, Brother Hughes, listen, you've talked to us about Asaph. You talked to us about Pilate. You've talked to us about the psalmist in Psalm 24. You've talked to us about Job. Everyone pointing the same thing, that there is a value in having clean hands. You've talked to us about Kirksville, Ohio, and the reminder in the kitchenette to wash your hands because God and germs are everywhere. What does that mean? As we sit here today in 2022, James says this in James chapter 4. Draw nigh unto God. And he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. So the cleansing of hands isn't confined only to the New Testament. The cleansing of hands is a symbolism that says, God, I want to wash guilt. I want to wash wrongdoing. I want to get everything out and out of my hands that have been wrong. Everything I picked up along the way. Everything I've held on to. I want to, I want to get clean hands. And James says, if you're going to be spiritual, if you're going to draw nigh unto God, and he's going to draw nigh unto you, you've got to learn how to cleanse your hands. I'm going to open this altar in just a moment. Thank you for indulging me. A friend of mine, a year ago, sent me a journal called the Grateful Journal. You've seen these. They're everywhere. He sent a little note to me and said, Hey, some of the men in the church and I were doing this Grateful Journal to become better men. 
in August, he reached out to me. He works at a large institution. He reached out to me. He said, hey, how did that grateful journal go? He was checking in on me. And I said, by confession, it's doing great. It's never been opened. And he said to me, Doug, really, it's made a difference in my life. I, I want you to start this, so starting September 1st. And it's the things you might expect, three things you're grateful for, three things to tell yourself. And I tell myself a lot of the things that our beautiful songs say today. I am who you say that I am. Right. I write that down almost every day, and I encourage you to do that. But I begin writing down the things I'm grateful for, what would make a good day. And at the end of the day, I'm, write, I'm supposed to write down three amazing blessings that happened and that what would have made the day better. You know these routines. And so I've tried to be thoughtful and give myself into this. And I have to tell you, in just 15 days, there's a point to all this, in just, in just uh, 16, 17 days, I began to realize that the things I wrote down started to change. And the things in the beginning were the things I was most worried about and wanted to get done. The longer I went, the broader my mind got. And, and I was writing down what are the things I'm most grateful for, and I wrote down church services. And then I began thinking to myself, well, what would I write down about church services? And I, I began to think, okay, let's go in different categories. So one category is, and I hate to use the word best because it's not the, the right word to use, but one of the most prolific, how does that sound? I began to write down and think about the most prolific church services I've ever been in in my life. I've been in this since I was 12. And I began thinking, when I was a member of Grace Apostolic Church, four years, and um, my goodness, back in those days, everyone you can imagine wanted to preach for Bishop Golder. And uh, yes, it was the golden age of preaching was, was really at its peak at that point, and everyone came through. And, and I went to service that night, and Dr. Carolyn Showell was a speaker. And if you've never heard her speak She's not quite aligned today as she was in those days, but, but um, she's a very famous Bible teacher. She taught the, 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 the inner city women's Bible study in Baltimore for years. 3,000 women would come together to hear her, and she's a powerful, powerful speaker. Now, I'll never forget, it was a high worship service. You know what I'm talking about. The organ was blaring, the drums. I mean, we were shouting. The bishop's choir was singing. It was amazing. I thought, I'm not going to get to hear Dr. Showell speak tonight. Well, Bishop Golder was a man of reverence and order. And there was a time for worship, and then there was a time for worship in the Word. In other words, we don't stop just because the music stops, right? Amen, somebody. Worship in the Word. And Dr. Showell got the floor at, I think, about 8.45, 9 o'clock, and she began to preach. And she preached on this subject from Luke chapter 5. The Lord was in a house in a room doing miracles. And there were some men who had a friend who was laying down. He couldn't get up. He was infirm. And the challenge was there was no way to get this man into this crowded room. So the Bible says that they lifted the roof. Listen to this, young people. They lifted the roof. on a stretcher, so to speak, and the Lord healed him. And everyone was there, was amazed, 
And they glorified God, Brother Trace. And the Bible says they glorified God. And you know what they said? They said, this is Luke chapter 5. We have seen strange things today. And I remember listening to Dr. Showell preach. And I mean, I have never seen or heard anything quite like that in my life. We had prayer for the sick we had prayer for sinners. We, I mean, it was just everything you can imagine in one service at once. It went to 1130, and they were still shouting. It was an unbelievable service. But I'll never forget the tagline of those people who watched miracles when they said, we have seen strange things today. And I began pondering about that service and thinking about, boy, what would we do if we start seeing some strange things? Praise God. I hope we're striving for strange things. I hope we're looking for strange things. I hope we are praying for strange things. But you know what's stranger than people being physically healed? You know what is more out of the norm than people being set free from an addiction? You know what is actually perhaps even more miraculous is when a person who thinks they're right comes to an altar to declare they're wrong. Sometimes the strangest things we see are dirty hands coming to an altar that walk away clean. And so while I remember that prolific service, I just want to start this, the ending of my message that the musicians want to come. I just want to say this. You want to see something strange today? Don't be the last to the altar. Be the first. You want to see something strange? Learn what Job had to say. Clean hands. Those who have clean hands get stronger and stronger. You want to see something new in your walk with God as we stand? Come down and confess unto God. I've picked some things up. Some bitterness, some anger, some worldliness, some ungodliness. We've all been there. Every one of us have. Don't act like you haven't. We need to come down to an altar this morning. And we need to start asking God for clean hands. Cleanse our hands, as James says. Cleanse our hands and purify our hearts. Then God is going to draw nigh to us. And we are going to draw nigh unto him. This altar is open. And it's open for everyone, every drifter, every lukewarm, every person who is so confident in themselves, everyone who doesn't think they need to be here. That should be a clue. We need to be in the altar. God, cleanse my hands so I can become stronger and stronger. Amen. Cleanse my hands so that I can become stronger and stronger.